Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sports Section Morning Show on this fine Monday morning. Weather's nice. Birds is out chirping. It's a Monday, though. Sorry for the lateness. It is a Monday. Episode 13, July 31st. Man, let's get it cracking, man. We got Terrence Crawford going to be talking about. Terrence Crawford, we're going to talk a little Titans, of course. We got to talk about the Colts and Jim Ursa. He's been off his rocker, man. He's been on a bender. He's been on a bender. Talk Ursa versus Taylor. Bunch of NFL news, of course. We're going to talk Joe Burrow. He's going to he's going to be on season two of the quarterback, Netflix's quarterback. That's going to be pretty good to watch. We're going to talk Houston and the state of Texas as a whole, taking another L. They've been taking L after L after L. My boy Caleb Plant, Clarksville slash Nashville Native, smacked the shit out of Charlotte. And then we got some Arsenal news. Not much, but a lot. So let's get it cracking, man. Hop in the car, watch it go boom. Section morning show. I know you heard of B-Will. You are listening to TFTV Sports. All right, all right, all right. Let's get it cracking, man. Terrence Crawford, my boy. My boy. I wish I would have put some paper on him, boy. My boy went out there and dominated Errol Spence Jr. Didn't even look like a fight out there. A fight got to be two-sided. This was not two-sided. That boy Errol Spence, man. He better not want no rematch, man. What I've heard, or what I, from what I understand, is up to Spence if he gets that rematch, but no way he fucking deserves it. No way. Damn, hair getting in the way. No way. It started off from the first round. I mean, it seemed like it was a consensus amongst the judge, the judges, that Spence got that first round, but that round was a toss-up. And after that, it was over with. The only toss-up was uh, Spence's chin getting tossed up. Crawford hitting him uppercut, hook, straight, and he's jabbing the death out of jabbing the hell out of him. It's just he couldn't do nothing with Crawford. It seemed like he could never get timed up with Crawford. And it's just he was always a second or a step behind Crawford. Anytime he would try and get get within get within range of him, sort of size him up, Crawford's already tagging his ass with a little combo and then out of there. You know? And whenever Spence did throw punches, shit, Crawford was just He'd defend him, sort of look like he was working with a little Philly shell, dodge him off, and then tag his ass two or three more times. You know, he Crawford really put on a performance on Saturday night. And, I mean, Crawford's got to get – he already has respect, but he's got to get the, the nation's respect, the world's respect for that performance he put on against Spence because he – it was a toss-up going into the fight. Vegas had it at the toss-up. And it was not a toss-up throughout that fight, man. I mean, it was after the probably about third or fourth round where Spence didn't adjust or didn't have an answer for anything that Crawford was throwing at him. You just knew it was over at that point. I mean, of course, Spence always had a fighting chance, but it was just there was he couldn't get he couldn't get in tune with Crawford. And anytime he would make an adjustment, Crawford would already be there. So it was just, there was nothing he could do. And, I mean, Crawford just, once again, he just put on a performance, man. That's one of the best performances in a, like, a, a unifying fight all-around performance that I've seen in a good bit, in a good bit. And he was, like I said, he was, it was a toss-up. Vegas had it at that. Crawford didn't. The man didn't even have a haircut. He, it looked like he didn't even get a fresh cut for weeks. That man was in camp, camping. 
He wore black forces. Wore black. Both of them wore black forces. I think Spencer did that because he heard Crawford was. But Spence came in there with a fresh lineup and everything. The black forces was just an add-on. This man Crawford looked like he walked around in them all camp. Motherfuckers was dirty and some old shit. That man, he was ready. He was ready. But y'all let me know in the comments too, man. What do y'all think about Errol Spence Jr. coming in there looking high as a kite, man? He looked zooted. Zooted. Looked like he smoked a bleasy in the in the SUV on the way to the arena. Is crazy. Insane. From what I understand, he normally looks like that coming into his fights. But you can't do that against a guy like Bud Crawford, bro. I don't give a damn how good you think you are, Errol Spence. I don't care. You can't do that, bro. Cannot. He was, I mean, he came in there walking in, looking zooted, eyes glossy, eyes red, and low. And by the time he got done with the fight, his eyes was even lower, except they was swole up, you know? It's just, you can't do that type of shit, man. It's it's slick and embarrassing. And I would be heated if I put pre, uh, put cheese on Errol Spence Jr. And that man coming there walking walking in looking like that high as a kite, bro. I would be mad. I'd, I'd call BetMGM right there and say, hey, I want my money back. Or try and cash that motherfucker out right there. I feel bad for anybody that bet on him. Feel bad for it. But you should have known, man. You should have put your money on Bud Crawford anyway. Put your money on Bud Crawford. You're going to win, boy. You're going to win. But yeah, y'all let me know in the comments, uh, YouTube, Twitch, what y'all think about the fight between Terrence Bud Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. Y'all think there should be a rematch? What is next for Terrence Crawford? I mean, what is next? What is next? All right. All right. Let's get to some Titans news, man. We're going to talk about the Titans before we talk about the that shameless, shameful, uh, terrible organization up in Indianapolis they got going on. We're going to talk about the Titans first. They're they more important. But so a lot of the receivers, man, they, they look a lot better. I don't know if it's the addition of D hop that gave him a little bit more juice, a little bit more confidence, or if it's just early in camp, they got more juice and confidence because of the new offensive coordinator. I'm not sure which it is. And I really don't give a damn. I just want them to go out there and ball. And they've been balling in training camp so far. Burks, Traylon Burks. Look, we need a big year out of you, Traylon Burks. I got you on my fantasy team. You my, you my keeper. I got a lot of trust in you, man. I need a big year. And I think Traylon Burks is going to deliver that big year. Judging off the catches in practice and everything that the coaches have said, Vrabel said he's coming in much better shape. He's more focused. I'm seeing side clips of Burks showing the youngsters what to do in teaching now. As a second-year player, that's remarkable because even second-year players still consider themselves learning. But if you have learned enough to where you can get to the point where you feel like you're able to teach these young guys, man, you talk about, you talk about a damn, just a complete 180 from this time last year when we didn't really know what was wrong with Burks. He came in there. They didn't know if it was asthma, allergies or whatever, slash not in shape or a combination of everything. But now this man is in really good shape. He's teaching the youngsters and giving them tips. He's receiving tips from DeAndre Hopkins, and he's going out there and applying it on the practice field, making crazy catches. Traylon Burks is. Just a, I'm ready to see the next step from Traylon Burks, man. I think this year is the year for it. With the addition of Hopkins, that'll allow Traylon Burks not to get all the, all the attention, the quote-unquote attention from the defense. 
That allowed him and Chig to be one on one with some of these some of these DBs and safeties, and really allowed him to shine. And Traylon Burks looks like he will be our deep threat this year. For me, with Hopkins and going back, I watched a lot of his tape in 2019 when he was with Tim Kelly, and Tim Kelly was down there calling plays in Houston. He used Hopkins a lot in the slot, and that's what I'm foreseeing Hopkins with us is that we'll be motioning him a lot, motioning him into the slot just because he struggled last year. Well, you started to see it last year. He struggled a lot facing the press and and getting off that press. But Tim Kelly, and I'm sure he pitched this to him because, I mean, he he said, Hopkins said he liked straight shooters. So if they're straight shooters, they told him, like, look, man, you, you're getting a little past it when it comes to just beating guys off the press and getting those extra three yards on your release and maintaining those extra three yards without throughout the route. You just lost a step. That's all it is. That comes with age. But to mitigate that, Kelly can be creative by bringing Hopkins into motions, having him set up in a stack formation out wide with somebody like Kyle Phillips that'll beat the press behind Kyle Phillips where he won't get pressed. It'll give him a free release. Or just having him in the slot where it'd be a lot harder to, to press him and give him a free release. That would take away Hopkins' one weakness that is that we've seen and that I've seen in the last year is just him beating a press and maintaining that those couple yards that he he wins. But if Kelly, like I said, if Kelly is creative enough, gets him in the slot a lot more, gets him involved in motions, gets him in formations like a stack formation with with a receiver like Kyle Phillips or Traylon Burks that can beat the press, that will allow DeAndre Hopkins to really shine. I don't see DeAndre Hopkins lining up at an X for 80% of our plays. I just don't see it. Burke should be out there. That's what I'm envisioning. And it remains to be seen. That's just what I think. But I'm getting more and more excited for this receiver group as camp goes on. They've really surprised me. And I think the injection of talent with Hopkins has just given them a new, like a breath of fresh air. Not only the receivers, Coach Rob Moore, give him a breath of fresh air, that they're not constantly in the spotlight now. He's sort of taking, Hopkins himself has taken a lot of pressure off of those other receivers, off of Rob Moore, and allow those other receivers to venture back into roles that they're more comfortable in as quote-unquote role players and not the guy expected to go out there and be the offense and be the production outside of Henry. Hopkins takes on that burden from them, allows them to play more free, allows them to face better matchups against the defense. They're not facing number one corners. They all get knocked down a peg because that number one corner is going to be on DeAndre Hopkins. So that's a big thing with those that young, uh, less talented receiver group. So you, we, what's going to happen is y'all going to see wide receiver one, Nick Westbrook-Akina, on a cornerback four, and he's going to be snapping Westbrook-Akina. That's what y'all going to see. Y'all not going to be ready for that, man. Y'all not going to be ready for that. But this brings me to another point with the Titans. And y'all let me know. Of course, y'all let me know in the comments. Make sure y'all like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Make sure y'all comment, subscribe on Twitch. Follow us on TFTV Sports at YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. Uh, Inst- no, not Instagram. It's TFTV.sports on Instagram. Uh, TFTV Sports on TikTok, Facebook. Y'all tap in with us, man. TFTV.sports on Instagram. Give us a follow. Follow the Exit One Show at the Exit One Show on all socials. And follow me on Twitter at BWillTFTV. All right. So now to my second question. Y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think about this impending quarterback battle that the Titans are somewhat downplaying between Will Levis 
and Malik Willis. My own thoughts is that Willis will probably beat out Will Levis for the second quarterback, but it'll be pretty fluid throughout the year, I'd imagine. I'm not sure. I think it'll be think it'll be throughout practice. It'll be fluid with, you know, depending on depending on who's performing better in practice up until training camp. And then after preseason, we'll probably have, in my opinion, I think it'll be I think it'll be Willis that'll be the number two. And y'all let me know in the comments who y'all think will be the number two behind Ryan Tannehill between Will Levis and Malik Willis. But the reason I say why I think it'll be Willis is he's got that he's got that extra year under his belt. He's grown a lot. The coaches are raving about his his mentality as he's come into camp. How how dedicated he's been in the offseason. He's had his head in the playbook and how much he's improved as a passer also. And I'm just hoping that it translates to the practice field pretty soon because he threw a pick on one of the earlier days. I don't think I think Levis might have thrown a pick or two also. And that comes, of course, with practice. That's what practice is for. Not to throw picks left and right, but to see what you can get away with. You don't want to see what you can get away with in the damn game. See what you can get away with in practice. See if you can make this throw if you feel like you're a couple second, a couple a second or two late on it. That's what practice is for. But I think in conjunction with the year that he's had, not the year that he had, but the year of experience that he experienced last year, that should give Willis the edge over Levis. And of course, this is dependent on preseason and their performances in a preseason game. But I think Will Levis is just going to be the third quarterback until he gets his feet under his ground. And and then, of course, Malik Willis will be the two. Y'all let me know in the comments who y'all think will be the two behind Ryan Tannehill, Will Levis, Malik Willis. And also, what position group are y'all most worried about for the Tennessee Titans? For me, I would probably say O-line out of all the position groups. Before the signing of DeAndre Hopkins, I, of course, would have said receiver. Like Receiver was undoubtedly the, the worst position group that we had on the field. Is it what position group slash facet of the team are you most worried about? Whether that's Tim Kelly, uh, whether that's the loss of Jim Schwartz. I've seen some some folks on Titans Twitter talking about that. That's going to be a big loss, but I think the offsetting of Harold Landry coming back should mitigate that and offset offset that loss on the defensive end. Plus, we got to remember, Vrabel is a defensive whiz. That defense isn't going to drop too damn much as long as Rabel's around. That's his baby, quote-unquote. So the defense, I'm not really worried about. I am worried about the corner situation a little bit, but Sean Murphy Button, Christian Fulton, uh, a second-year Roger McCreary, I think they'll take that next step and be a good group, a better group than what they were. We were damn near last in the league in uh, pass defense last year. I don't think we'll be last in the league. We might be second to last. <laughs> but I think we'll be a lot better on that front in, uh, in the secondary. But my position group that I'm thinking is a, the biggest problem is O-line. So there's not any continuity, of course. Not that we would want any continuity from last year. But between the Dillard, he hasn't been a starting left tackle in this league. He's been a, a somewhat of a backup tackle. Um, we signed Hub. Excuse me. God damn. We signed Hubbard. I don't think he's going to play. He ain't played nothing in the last three years, but knowing our luck in the Titans, he'll be playing for the damn Titans. But so Skaronsky is a rookie. You you don't, I mean, Skaronsky was con- a consensus as one of the best linemen in the draft, but you just don't know with rookies. That's, that's an uncertainty. 
Center is probably the most certain position we have in Brew. Brew will be really good at center. But beyond that, right guard, no. Right tackle, especially with the suspension uh, suspension of Parlay Petit, no. We just, there's so much uncertainty on, on that offensive line. We don't know how these guys are going to gel. We don't know how long it'll take them to get acclimated to the to the scheme. We just do not know. And for now, it's it's looking like it'll be Dillard, Skoronsky, Brew, and then a battle at right tackle for between Jamarco Jones, Jalen Duncan, and Hubbard would probably be out there. And all until MPF comes back. And then right guard, we somewhat have a hole. So it's just going to be interesting how the new and we have a new offensive line coach this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how the new offensive coordinator, the new offensive line and the brand new offensive coordinator are going to gel, how they're going to acclimate and how they're going to find a way to get it done on Sundays. That's the group I'm most worried about. And I just it's to me that we're only going to go as far as our O-line allows us to. And Tannehill, of course, you know, and if you think he's the biggest problem, y'all let me know in the comments, too, because. He's looked good in camp, but Tannehill can be Tannehill at times. But I don't think it'd be no worse than the O-line. But even if the O-line improves, you know, to middle of the pack in a league, that is amazing for us. You know, that'll be great. We can make some shake with that. With the skill position players we have, we should be able to make some shake with a middle of the pack offensive line. That's best case scenario, in my opinion. In my opinion, it's best case scenario. And if if we have a middle of the pack offensive line with the skill players we have and they stay relatively healthy, we should be able to put up 25, 26 points a game. We should be able to, honestly. And if we put up 25, 26 points a game, we're winning 11, 12 games, in my opinion. Because with all the injuries we had on defense last year, we still only gave up around 20, 21 points a game. Or no, 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 no. We only gave up like 23, 24 points a game. And that was considered a little down. You know, so I, I'm expecting improvement on the defensive end with that secondary growing. And a lot of the high energy guys we've got, especially a linebacker, Arden Key, Aziz, them two bring some energy to that defense. Byard, he, of course, he's going to bring the energy. We should be able to get down to only allowing about 21, 22 points a game, and we should be able to score about 25 points a game if that O-line performs at a, a middle of the pack standard, which they should be able to, in my opinion. That's that's the goal. And if they do that, we're, we're going to win 11 to 12 games. I'm, I'm like the damn Oracle. We're going to go back to this. We're going to go back to this clip on July 31st when it's December 31st and them numbers are aligning. And y'all going to think, damn, this dude, what did he know? Shit, football. That's what it is. But enough of the Titans, man. Y'all let me know. Once again, y'all let me know in the comments on Twitch, YouTube. What do y'all think is the biggest facet slash position group that will pose a problem to the Titans? Was it be O-line? Will it be this young secondary? Will it be uh, Tim Kelly? You know, his, his first year in a few years as being an offensive coordinator, his play calling could be a bit rusty. Who knows? Y'all let me know in the comments who y'all think is the biggest uh, liability, I would say, um, on the Titans going into this season. All right. Now to talk about this just terrible, despicable, uh, just shameful organization that got up in Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts. What a terrible organization, man. It started with the line of, of the Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck stuff lying about his injuries. They shouldn't have, they still was never held responsible for that as they should have been. That in conjunction with running off, 
I ain't gonna say they ran off Peyton Manning. It wasn't. It was time for him to go, and they had Andrew Luck in the in the wing. But they ran off and wasted a generational quarterback in Andrew Luck. Booed him on his way out. That, the fans up there in Indianapolis, on motherfucker too. I can't even. I don't even really want to talk about them. Shameful. Ran uh Andrew Luck off. Now they've been playing quarterback carousel for years. That's what happens when you don't have two generational quarterbacks fall into your lap and for a span of 20 years and you only get one ring out of that. Terrible. Terrible. Some franchises don't even get that generational quarterback in 30 years. The Colts get them back to back and only get one ring out of that. Terrible, man. That just shows the organization, Jim Irsay, how bad he is. Whenever you got an owner that is a crackhead, well, I don't know if he's a crackhead. He's a confirmed pillhead slash alcoholic getting DUIs and stuff. That rubs off on the organization, man. It's a blob. It's a, a blotch on the organization. It starts with Jim Irsay at the top, man. He's one of the, to me, with the ousting of Dan Snyder, Jim Irsay is one of the worst owners in sports, in my opinion, especially in the NFL. The worst owner in the NFL, in my opinion. The guy's terrible. And it starts with, it starts with the off the off the field stuff, of course, but the comments he's making now with Jonathan Taylor completely alienating his player, completely alienating the best player, a leader on his team, all while having a brand new head coach making a job on that head coach much harder. I'm here for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm here for Jim Irsay sabotaging his own team. Some things you just don't do. Blashing, bashing your own players, especially when you're in a First year with your new coach, first year with your new quarterback, your players are looking at you like, damn, why would he say that about our leader, one of our best players on our team, and Jonathan Taylor? It don't make no sense, man. But dude, don't be sober when he says this shit either. He's not. He can't be. It started on Twitter, and this this is a quick paraphrase of the quote saying, and I ain't going to lie, he wasn't wrong. In this particular quote, he was not wrong. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. He said, if I die, if I die today and Jonathan Taylor's out the NFL today, the NFL will not miss a beat and their life will go on without us. NFL will go on without us. And that's talking about sort of a jab at running backs. I took it as a jab at running backs and Taylor in particular that your shit really don't stink, man. You think it do? Nah. You know, at the end of the day, everybody's replaceable. And he's entirely right about that. I'll give him that. He's entirely right about that. But it's it's not about what you say. It's never about what you say. It's about the delivery of how you say it. And his delivery of that message is just not right. That's a conversation. That's something that you would you should have as a conversation with the player. And apparently the player, the conversation with the player didn't go well when he was on the bus with him. It just didn't. And so we we fast forward to yesterday and a couple of days ago. At first, he tweeted about the running back situation saying agents are selling bad faith. You know, saying these agents are selling these running backs a pipe dream and how much they're going to get paid and how much they can command, which is slightly true. He's right about that also. These running backs are not going to get paid. That's just the market. It's not happening. They can complain all they want and have Zoom meetings all they want. Shit ain't happening. It's a different league now. Running backs are not going to be getting paid unless they drastically change the situation themselves. And I talked about that on the last episode. Apparently, Jonathan Taylor went to GM Chris Ballard asking to be traded. And that that uh of course that leak that was that last part of that was true saying that he asked to be traded. 
in the meantime, agents, Jonathan Taylor's agent, we talked, we touched on the, the first half of this part uh, the last Friday on the show. Jonathan Taylor's agent saying that bad faith is not paying your best players. He quoted Jim Irsay's tweet. So, uh, not optimism, but uh, tension there already between Taylor's camp and the Colts slash Irsay's camp in the public domain. Not good. Not good. Then, Irsay. And this was probably about Saturday, I'd say Saturday or Sunday. Ursay comes out and says the team hasn't and doesn't plan on offering JT an extension. I wouldn't be surprised if they just tagged his ass after that. Then after that, Ursay invited Taylor on his bus, private bus. They have a meeting. After that meeting, the request gets leaked that Jonathan Taylor put in a trade request, whether that was from the Colts camp or Ursa or Taylor's camp. We don't know, but it gets leaked. That they requested it, that he requested a trade to be be traded from the Colts. Ursay then says they won't offer him an extension, doubles down on that, and then says that's after that's when he says that if I die tonight, quote. Today or yesterday, he says Jonathan Taylor will not be dealt. They're not even entertaining trade offers. Fast forward to the very end of this messy, messy, messy situation. The Colts, it leaks out that the Colts are considering putting Jonathan Taylor on the non-football injury list that would cause him not to be able to get his 2023 salary for a back injury that he allegedly uh, received away from the f- football facility training. So that that is just nasty, nasty work by Indianapolis trying to put him on that list and not pay him for 2023. And they also get another year of control. That year, this year, is void in his contract, for lack of a better word. And he still will be on its on the salary he's supposed to be next year. It shit just moves to the next year to twenty twenty four. So they would have another two years of control on him. Nasty work, nasty work that Ursay and the Colts will be playing. But after that, Jonathan Taylor tweeted. He said, "One never had back pain, never reported back pain. Not sure who quote unquote sources are, but find new ones. The sources are the Colts. So I don't know." If Jonathan Taylor went into the physical and, you know, reported some back pain that is, you know, his physical when he came in, because he's already uh, rehabbing his ankle. But if he reported some back pain, then that's grounds for that. These running backs have to be very careful. They have to be very careful because in the beginning, right after the Zoom meeting and such, I think uh, Florio, Mike Florio tweeted out that the running backs were contemplating exaggerating injuries. and. You can't you can't do that, especially that's a union and they can really the NFL and the owners can really they hold all the power for one. They've got all the power and two can play that game with exaggerated injuries, just like you an exaggerated injury. Don't let that injury have happened outside the facility. I hope that, well, one, if the PA is communicating this with the players through back channels or if the players are communicating this amongst themselves. Their agents or them have to know that these injuries that you are quote on these injuries that you are quote unquote exaggerate, they've got to be at the field or at the facility of it happening. Unless you the Colts, you'll be able to you get treated like Taylor is about to get treated by the Colts, be on the, the NFI list where you have to forfeit your 2023 salary and you and you submit to another year of control from the team. It's just you have to be careful when you're doing stuff like that because these owners and GMs know the book. They know what they can do and get away with. And it looks like this Taylor and Colt situation is going to be a good case study for what these running backs can do. 
But I respect the hell out of Jonathan Taylor because one of these running backs, somebody, rivalry aside with the Colts, as much as I want to see them fail, I love to see them fail. And this dumpster fire they got in Indianapolis right now. One of these running backs has to stand up and make and take a stand and try and change the landscape for the future running backs. And Jonathan Taylor might, I said in the previous show, I didn't think he had it in him. I think he's going to be that guy to do that. And I respect the hell out of him for it because he, he's taking that burden on his shoulders and he's still young enough to where he can still command a payday on the market. But even though he's not going to get traded, it's possible he gets traded because that, that relationship looks so far gone, to be honest. Y'all let me know in the chat who y'all think the trade value for Jonathan Taylor is. Is it closer to the McCaffrey trade value or not? But he's young enough to where he can still command a decent payday. It's interesting where this situa- situation will go because it looks like they're at a standoff at this point with the Colts and Jonathan Taylor. But it's just, it's amazing. It's fascinating to see how the running back situation and how the running back landscape will be impacted by this Taylor and Colts situation. I'm here for all the drama in Indianapolis, and I love to see it, and I love to laugh at it. But I also love to see a running back finally sticking their neck out, finally being bold, and backing up all this word, all the words and rhetoric that they've, that's been coming out of the Zoom meeting and the comments from running backs on Twitter and stuff. Somebody's finally putting their money where their mouth is, and Jonathan Taylor's the one to do it. But the running backs, they've got to think, man, why is Jonathan Taylor the one to do that? This guy's coming off an ankle injury. Why? Get one of these younger guys do that shit. You know, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, he's he might be the second best guy to do it, but they can find somebody better than Jonathan Taylor coming off an ankle injury. That sort of refutes and plays into the owners' whole mantra of why we're not paying running backs. A lot of y'all get hurt easily, not easily, more often than other positions. And the more y'all perform, the less y'all's value is. So we just got to, they got to find somebody else. What they need to do is wait on Bijan to run for about fucking 1750 down there in Atlanta with 500 receiving yards. You know, Arthur Smith is going to go crazy with Bijan. That is who they need to hang their cap on and let, let Bijan hold out next year. That's what needs to happen. All right. Other NFL news. Travis Kelsey punching two teammates in one practice, man. He, he, was, he was punching them like, like Crawford was knocking on Spence. And so y'all let me know in the comments, too. What do y'all think about these training camp fights, man? This is my favorite time of the year. There was another fight. I think it was the it was the Browns where number 54. I got to find out who number 54 on the Browns. Y'all let me know in the chat who number 54 on the Browns is. This guy, they're they're doing a, a live, a live, like I think it was 11 on 11 in training camp. I, I would talk about Kelsey, but this shit is way funnier. <laughs> so the guy, number 54, is rushing off the edge. He falls down a little bit, goes, sort of goes low. He doesn't go low around Watson, but he's at the feet of the offensive tackle, right? And the play's over. Watson throws an interception. Is he was the pocket was really congested. So number 54 gets up, squares up with the offensive tackle. And of course, he's like, the offensive tackle is fucking 6'7. So the the damn the DN is only like 6'2, 6'3. So he's he's it's a noticeable height difference. It's like me standing next to somebody normal. It's a noticeable height difference. And he like he punches him in the face, sort of gives him a smack on the face mask, and then runs like a little kid around around the offensive line. The other the rest of the players in the offensive line goes back to his defensive huddle, runs like a little kid, literally. What he wasn't expecting was that offensive line to be right on his ass. The offensive lineman chased him around the other players and then squared up with him in the defensive backfield and punched the hell out of him, and they got the hooking right there. 
hilarious, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the clip when I edit this, and it's on YouTube. The YouTubers will be able to see this after the fact. When I put this on YouTube, I'm gonna put the clip in there, and y'all are gonna see how funny this shit is, man. But that just goes to say, man, these guys are grown men acting like that on in camp, man. These guys, when it gets around training camp, they it's hot out there. They practicing. They got long days. They irritated. They all man, there's fights all over camp. Shit is hilarious. Kelsey on his his thing, he came out and apologized also for for his little scuffle, saying he was a leader and leaders aren't supposed to act like that. And he's right, but it's training camp, man. It's not that big of a deal. You don't know why these players are playing so hard. If you're Kelsey, like in Kelsey's shoes, and you think a guy is going too hard, the guy might be trying to earn a spot on the roster. You know, he you don't know that he might be getting ripped in in film by his position goes saying, you need to finish the play. You need to finish the play. And he comes and finishes the play, and Kelsey just happens to be the guy he finishes the play on with. You know? So, you just don't ever know if you're Kelsey. But these guys are fighting for their livelihood. They're fighting for spots. They're fighting to put food on the table. I don't give a damn who you are, Travis, Kelsey, whatever. Of course, I play it a little more smooth with the star players, but that's not going to stop me from finishing a play, especially if I'm getting ripped in film. And... My my spot is on the line on the roster. Hell no, fuck Travis Kelsey. You know I'm gonna do what I got to do. But you know it's just you you don't ever know with players and and what's going on with their ranking in the team, ranking within their position group, and how they are with their how they'll look with making that roster. So another news: Patriots hosting Zeke Elliott on a visit over the weekend. They just like washed up running backs, man. Zeke up there in, in New England, he, they're going to try and run the ball with him, and he's he's still going to average two, three yards of carry. He's not going to be enough, man. I'm surprised Zeke's still trying to play, to be honest. I think he's past it. At best, he's a backup running back or a third down back. But even then, as a third down back, what he can really offer you is not really dynamism. It's just how good of a pass blocker he is, and he can catch the ball at the backfield a little bit. But once he catches the ball at the backfield, it's not he ain't going nowhere, you know? So at best, he's a third down back at this point. And that's not what New England needs. New England needs a bell cow. And the bell cow that's out right now is Dalvin Cook, but it looks like he's going to stay with New York. He was on a visit with the Jets this uh, this weekend, posting pictures with Jets players and stuff, even though that don't get you far. You know, Hopkins was posting pictures with Agent Judon. And had, look, look where that got him. But looks like Cook is going to stay in New York with the Jets. And that offense should be a lot better with the addition of Dalvin Cook. They'll have Dalvin Cook, Garrett Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. I just think, and I love Aaron Rodgers to death, I just think Aaron Rodgers will be the one to hold them back, to be honest. I really do. I just don't think that he's the Aaron Rodgers of old, and it's it's dependent on that offensive line that they hold up for him and where he's able to sit in the pocket and, and pick his throws. But he's just not the Aaron Rodgers of old. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in New York offensively. All right. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow will be on season two of Netflix's quarterback. That's the only name that I know of so far that is confirmed. That's according to Peter King. Just came out today before we went live. Um, Joe Burrow, and he's already got a, a calf injury, a calf strain. They better hope it's a calf strain because the way he popped, the way he popped up and lost, couldn't put no weight on his calf, it looked like an Achilles injury to me. And we was talking on the X and One show last night. How KD, it came out when KD tore his Achilles, it came out that it was a calf strain. He stayed out for a couple weeks, came back, and then his Achilles popped. So, you know, I'm not wishing that on Joe Burrow. That's one of the worst injuries that can happen. I'm not wishing that on Joe Burrow by any means. 
But it looks like that calf strain might not just be a calf strain, in my opinion. We'll see. But it's it's a risk that he's going to have. And how bad would that be for not only Joe Burrow, the Bengals? It'll be terrible for the Bengals. But it'll also be terrible for that season two of the quarterback for Netflix and Peyton Manning and them. You know, it's it'll be interesting. I'm sure they could spin it to where it'd be something nice of him supporting the team and going through his rehab process. That'll be a good glimpse of for fans to see how these running back or how these players go through the rehab process. Nobody has really seen that before. So I think there's opportunity for Netflix to really showcase that and people to be receptive to that. But you better make sure the other two quarterbacks ain't hurt. You got you got to make sure the other two quarterbacks ain't hurt. Lamar Jackson declined to be on Netflix quarterback. Justin Fields declined to be on the quarterback. I think Tannehill declined last year to be on the quarterback. So I'm eager to see who the other two quarterbacks will be if they have three again. But Joe Burrow will be on there. That'll be interesting. And I hope he stays healthy where we can get a good season out of uh, out of the quarterback. And I ain't, I ain't going to say a good season with the Bengals, but a good season out of the quarterback. We'll see how that happens. I l- can't wait to see if he's healthy for the Texans, the Titans game, what kind of spiel they put on there with the Titans game like they did with Mahomes on the last season of the quarterback. And he he was really he spoke really highly of Rabel, Rabel's defense and the Titans with how they how we treated them uh, about two years ago when they came up to Nashville, we whooped that ass. All right. All right, moving on. We got a little bit more left. A couple more things to talk about. Caleb Plant. Hey, man. Nashville slash Clarksville, the middle, whole middle Tennessee area. And what we doing to Houston and the whole state of Texas? Well, just Houston. I can't say the whole state of Texas. What middle Tennessee is doing to Houston right now needs to be in the history books, boy. It's got to be in the history books. We we took they took their franchise from them. They trying to still claim the franchise because they ain't got no history with the Oilers. They trying to slay slay my boy Bud Adams' name. Still talking about he ain't got no legacy. This legacy that why you still why you talking about him still if he ain't got no legacy? Why you talking about him? We took their jerseys, released their jerseys this week. Jerseys are fire. Oilers jerseys fire. Amazing. Amazing. And we're wearing them against Houston. First, that's the first L for Houston. Second L for the, the city of Houston. My boy, Caleb Plant. Clarksville's Ashland City native. So Clarksville and Nashville can lay claim to him. Smacks the dog shit out of Jamal Charlo. Charlo. Apparently it was spilling over from a fight between Charlo's uh I don't even that's gossip shit where the fight came from. But Caleb Plant was Caleb Plant was trying to break up the fight. Some things got said to Caleb Plant. He fired on Charlo, smacked the dog shit out of him. And then Charlo's old lady got whooped outside in the parking lot after that. Nashville with another win over the city of Houston. It just, it don't get no better, man. Houston, they got to get some get back now. I don't know if y'all going to do it with uh with the Texans. I doubt it y'all going to do it with the Texans. That ain't happening, fam. That ain't happening with the Titans. Y'all might, y'all might get us one of the games, but... The get back, y'all need to even make it even. Y'all going to have to sweep us this year. At the very minimum, Texans, y'all going to have to sweep us to get y'all get back. We up 2-0 on the city of Houston. Nashville is. We up. Caleb Plant, though, man, I mean, he's just ain't no telling what was said. I didn't even want to look into what was said because it was for Caleb Plant to act like that, even though he he fired on Canelo, too. He, he might have a short temper, a short fuse. I ain't going to lie. Them boys from National City different. but. There ain't no telling what was said to provoke that reaction 
from Caleb Plant. And I'm not here to even speculate on what was said because it was probably some just nasty work done by Charlotte and them. But Charlotte got what was coming to him too. Smacked the dog shit out of him. Oh, the, they, the, I just got a notification. They was trying to talk to Andy Reid about the Travis Kelsey, the Travis Kelsey scuffles. He said, waste of time. He ain't even entertaining. Andy Reid, a hell of a coach, boy. A hell of a coach. All right. Finish out this show. Finish out the show. We'll finish out with some Arsenal. And well, first, U.S. Men's National Team. Yunus Musa is officially headed to AC Milan, to America Milan, with Christian Pulisic to join them on a fee. I'm not exactly sure what the fee. I think it was a little less than 20 million euros from Valencia to join AC Milan. Yunus Musa, man, is a good player, good midfielder, really energetic, former Arsenal product. He came from Hale End, of course. Of course, he came from Arsenal. That's, you know, we, we produce. But. I think he'll do really well for AC Milan. They got Loftus Cheek in there, Eunice Musa, and they've got Benancer. Yeah, Benancer as the sixth there. AC Milan is putting together a good team now. It's going to be interesting to see. Interesting to see how they do in the Champions League and uh, the Serie A. So, very very interesting to see what Musa does, what Pulisic does. AC Milan. It'd be a team worth watching throughout the season if you're going to watch some Serie A and you're interested in the U.S. Men's National Team. AC Milan is your team. AC Milan is your team. Arsenal. All right. Credible links to David Raya, goalkeeper from Brentford, and Matt Turner, U.S. Men's National Team. Matt Turner has been linked on a move out to Nottingham Forest for around $15 million. It would be a good fee for Arsenal if they were able to get $15 million from Matt Turner. I think we bought him for 5 or $6 million, which is, I think, about 3 or $4 million. Pounds. Able to get him gone for $15 million, pounds, get a good $10 million quid in profit. And for Matt Turner's sake, he will be a starting keeper on a Premier League side. That would be great for him and great for the U.S. men's national team with the World Cup coming up if Turner can start week in and week out in the Premier League. The last goalkeeper they've had to do that was Tim Howard. So very, very important for Matt Turner. I think, and of course, he's receptive to the move. I, I'm, From what I understand, personal terms is not going to be an issue with Nottingham Forest. But great move for Matt Turner. Great move for Arsenal. Great move for Nottingham Forest. An even better move for the U.S. men's national team. Excellent for him. And I can't say that I'm, I'm I mean, I'm really just proud of Matt Turner and the the growth he's had since he's come over because he he isn't particularly young. He came over to England from the MLS at age 29, if I'm not mistaken. And he's improved tenfold since joining Arsenal, not only with his feet, but in a shot stopping command in the area, which was a strength of his before he came, but improving with the ball at his feet tenfold than what he was when he came, man. He's really put his head down, grinded, and improved quite a bit. So I'm eager to see if that move goes through with Nottingham Forest, and if it does, how well he does with Nottingham Forest. I think it'll be a good move for him. Another U.S. men's national team player, Florin Balligan, linked to a move with Inter still. Apparently, they put in a bid for around 40 million euros. It got rejected out of hand by Arsenal. Arsenal's holding out for around 50 million euros. So I think there's a valuation gap of around 10 or 15 million between Inter and Arsenal. But once again, Bolligan hasn't featured in any any games in the last two weeks. He wasn't even a part of the squad in two of those games. And he hasn't been training with the team since uh, they were in America. So I'm not sure if he's training with the team at this moment. But before they left the American tour, he was not training with the team. I don't know if that's in, ta- in anticipation of a move or if that's just he's got a knock that he's nursing. Do not know. But a move to enter for Balligan, it's come out 
reports in Italy have come out and said that Inter Milan has placed Balligan as their number one striker and transfer target for this summer over the likes of Alvaro Morata from Atletico Madrid because the price of Morata and his age just deterring them from going after him. They prefer Balligan, but they have to agree to a fee with Arsenal. So it remains to be seen if that's going to happen. Another striker rumored to be out by Arsenal is Eddie Nketiah, our number 14, linked to a move to Brentford along with the links that we have with Raya. So to me, Eddie Nketiah is a 30, 40 million pound player, but I don't see Brentford investing that much in Eddie Nketiah, especially when they already, they just signed the, the striker from Germany, Shadi, and they have Tony who's going to be coming back in January. So it'd be interesting to see, do Arsenal buy Ivan Tony? You know, that's a striker that I've always wanted for Arsenal and I think would fit Arsenal to a T, would be amazing for Arsenal. And he would come in and start over Jesus, in my opinion, in that nine role. And he would just be, he would fit Arsenal to a T. He'd play like that Harry Kane role that he plays for Tottenham. But for Arsenal, he's tall to where he can get the team up the field. He can win headers when we play long. He can drop in the midfield and can link play like a false name, false nine like Jesus. But if we get Tony, that just solidifies the depth in that front line and really makes us, it would give us probably the most talented front line in, I don't want to say the world, but definitely in the Premier League. And if you say you got the most talented front line in the Premier League, you probably have one of the most talented front lines in the world, you know, a bar in Real Madrid. But depth wise, if the, if Arsenal were to add Tony, it have to be a conversation about them having the best depth and the best front line all together in the world. And man, that would be an amazing pickup ever to happen. That's just a pipe dream of mine is for us to get for us to get Ivan Tony and for him to be that that prototypical tall number nine that can win headers, win headers in the box, score goals with his head, link play, assist the wingers that we have in Saka, Martinelli, and Jesus. Man, I think he'd fit us perfectly and fit us like a glove. Be amazing signing. But it sort of goes against the grain of what Arteta and Edu have been targeting in their in their incomings is, you know, youngish players under 25, 26 with experience. Tony's a little old on the older side, so it wouldn't necessarily fit that mold of what they're doing, especially for strikers, bringing him in and him being that old, but he could produce right now, so especially on a Champions League level. He's producing. So that's one player that uh, Arsenal, I'd love Arsenal to get to Brentford and it hasn't really been any links, just more so fan. Fans wanting to move, but a player that has credibly been linked to Arsenal from Brentford is their goalkeeper, David Raya. 27, 28 year old goalkeeper in his prime, very talented keeper. And he's not coming in to be a backup to Aaron Ramsdale. You know, Aaron, Aaron Haramsdale, <laughs> Aaron Haramsdale, he, he's been struggling a little bit and he sort of had a season last year, tail of two seasons last year. For, you know, one part of the season he was doing, you know, extremely well. His distribution was really good. Shot stopping was really good in the second part of the season. He just hit a brick wall. He wasn't stopping shit, you know? So just the inconsistency there, you can't have that level of inconsistency, especially when you're playing in the Champions League and you're competing for a Premier League and you're competing, not just for a Premier League, Champions League, but on all fronts. And you're facing the likes of Manchester City, who are, you know, one of the best assembled teams of all time with the best manager of all time. You can't have in inconsistency and uncertainty at the goalkeeping position. 
But the addition of David Ryan, of course, those those links have come out, you know, from David Ornstein and Fabrizio came came behind him and, you know, validated it. Not that Fabrizio validates anything that David Ornstein says, but he he piggybacked it. But it's also said that he's not coming in to re- not necessarily replace Ramsdale. He's coming in to compete with Ramsdale with the outgoing of Turner, you know, being imminent. But it puts a fire under under Turner under Ramsdale's ass and forces him to develop some consistency and just it's healthy competition. I know people are not as receptive to having competition at goalkeeper of all spots. You know, all other spots on the on the pitch and on the squad. Competition is good, but goalkeeper could be a little dicey with competition. It doesn't necessarily work with the big clubs having two bona fide keepers. It, one of them is always normally getting sold immediately the year after. But David Raya at this price point of what they say around 30 million, 35 million is a good opportunity in the market for a keeper of his stature. And Ramsdale himself was bought for around 30 million. So if we're able to have a really good season with the both of them, one of them could possibly get sold off next year to a team that needs a goalkeeper. I mean, Chelsea still needs a keeper. They've been linked with a, a move for Sanchez from Brighton. United's got their keeper now. Liverpool's got their keeper. Uh, Chelsea should be the only one that needs a keeper out of the out of the big six, quote unquote. Because Tottenham just got a keeper too, and Arsenal will never do business with Tottenham. But Atletico Madrid could be needing a keeper soon too. So a team like Atletico Madrid could be in for Raya after this year if he performs really well. Overall, it's just a good market opportunity for Edu and Arteta to take advantage of with a player that they've always been interested in, been interested to interested to in for years. And a lot of that comes from the Inaki Kanya is the goalkeeping coach at Arsenal. He was formerly David Raya's goalkeeping coach at Brentford. I guess from what I understand, and this is according to Gunner blog, that Inaki Kanya is somewhat David Raya's mentor still, and they still keep in good contact. That's probably where the recommendation came from to Arteta, even though Arteta probably knew how good of a keeper Raya was before. But the interest isn't new. It's they've been interested. They were interested in Raya before before they even got Ramsdale, but they got priced out of a move by Brentford. So interesting to see what what Arsenal do if they were to get David Raya, if he's starting in the Premier League, or if he just starts the Cup games, Champions League, Carabao Cup, FA Cup. It'd be interesting to see. But I, I think it'd be a really good move. Even at 30, 35 million, I'd be excited to see him see him join Arsenal. Another player rumored to be in is Mohamed Kudus from Ajax. I think he's Dutch. No, no, no. He's from Ghana. He's from Ghana. So the Ghanaian midfielder, he can also play in the front line, give Saka some depth for around 40 million. Chelsea are interested in him. Ornstein reported that. But that that move is sort of stalled. They signed a younger player from France, I want to say. I forget the guy's name. The younger defensive midfielder, even though those might not be not, not be might not be related. But I don't understand where Chelsea would have room for Kudus. It doesn't make sense. They've already got attacking players out the ass. They got to find a way to use their players they got. Not keep adding to it and see who the hell works. They got Maduke on the right out there. They should be able to make it work. And Koku, I mean, he he wouldn't necessarily play on the right, but they could have a fluid a fluid front four with Jackson. Jackson's looked really good for Chelsea, that striker they got from Spain. But I think he's from Villarreal in particular. But Kudus would be a great pickup for Arsenal, especially around $40 million in my opinion. He could fill in in that, in that eight role that Arteta has. He can also fill in, in the, on the right wing for Saka when needed. 
And they say he can play a little little false nine, but I don't see him playing that for Arsenal. But kudos, I would be very excited to see that young, energetic player, dynamic, very technical, can really strike the ball really cleanly. I think it'd be a really good, really good pickup for Arsenal if they were able to do it. Apparently, Arsenal is not contingent on sales, but they haven't formalized a bid for IX yet. They've had conversations with IX, and they know what it would take to get Kudus. They haven't formalized a bid yet. So that would bring, if they were to get Raya and Kudus, that would bring their spending up to $270 million, a little north of 275 million pounds for in the summer for how much they've spent. And that's, I mean, that's an indictment on a crocky spending that money, man. Trust Narteta. A lot of money spent by Arsenal. And if they were to get Raya and Charlo, or not Charlo, <laughs> can't buy Charlo. He ain't going to put up no fight. Kudus, you would have to think that they would be, you know, 1A and 1B contenders for the Premier League this year with those additions. So that about rounds it rounds it all up. I think we got Sambi Laconga. Yeah, Sambi Laconga is rumored to be on a move to Burnley all along with option to buy. He needs to get on gone. I think his, his days at Arsenal are numbered. They are numbered. I think he's done at Arsenal, though. Just promising player. Just didn't work out, you know, for lack of a better word. So y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think about the Arsenal's moves. How y'all think Arsenal will do in the Premier League, Champions League. Y'all let me know what y'all think about that in the comments. Let me know what y'all think about Joe Burrow and his injury with his calf injury. If y'all think it's more serious than that. And him being confirmed to be on Netflix season two of the quarterback. Y'all let me know if y'all like that, what y'all want to see. And then also make sure y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think about Jonathan Taylor. Jim Ursay and the Colts and their fiasco up there in Indianapolis, man. It's an interesting situation. I just, I'm, I'm happy for Jonathan Taylor because he's going to be the guy to stand up for him. But I mean, they're playing a dirty game trying to make the man forfeit his salary because of a, a quote unquote back injury that he sustained off the field. And that, that Jonathan Taylor himself refuted. So just nasty work being being done up there in Indianapolis by a nasty organization and a nasty owner. And lastly, y'all make sure y'all let me know what y'all think about that Crawford and Spence fight, plus the Levis and Willis quarterback battle that the Titans have going on right now. Who do y'all think will be quarterback two behind Ryan Tannehill, Will Levis, or Malik Willis? Once again, appreciate y'all joining the Sports Section Morning Show. Of course, this is episode 13 on a fine Monday morning. Y'all get y'all's week started. Y'all enjoy y'all's week. Have a productive week. And thank you all for joining. It'll be out on streaming services soon. It'll be out. This episode will be out on YouTube by tomorrow at the very latest. And of course, be on the lookout for the X and one show we recorded last night. Had an amazing show. X and one show. Episode two will be out on Tuesday. So y'all make sure to be on the lookout for that. Subscribe on YouTube to the X and one show at X and one show. Subscribe on YouTube to us at TFTV sports and subscribe on Twitch at TFTV sports. Appreciate y'all. Join our socials. Follow our socials. TFTV Sports. Y'all know the deal, man. Appreciate y'all's support. Once again, y'all are here from us tomorrow. And you'll see on Tuesday, episode one or episode two of the Sports Section Morning Show. Thanks for all y'all that joined. Thanks for all y'all's comments. Make sure y'all give us a subscribe. And once again, man, thank y'all for all y'all's support. Appreciate y'all. Signing out.